0: Amen, amen, amen. We are closing out our uh, series on the ideal church. We've been taking the last couple of weeks to explore what it looks like to think about the church the way God sees the church. And we are very aware that we are all coming in, whether you've come in the church four times or this is your 400th time. Uh, we are coming into this this thing called the church, all with different expectations. And some of them good, some of them not, some of them biblical, some of them not biblical, some of them spoken, some of them subconscious. And so we don't want to just walk into the church and having all our expectations, uh, controlling what we think and feel, and then having that ruin our experience. Uh, We want to be clear on what God says the church is, and so we can evaluate it based on what God says, not on what um, we think it should be. In fact, I, was just, uh, I like sitting in the back row as we worship. Just to, I love worshiping in front, but I love watching everyone worship. I'm spying on everyone as they worship. It's beautiful. And one of the things I i, I feel like the Lord spoke to me as I was watching you guys worship, um, and I, I don't know if you were doing this, but I saw some people look around and, and kind of like the posture of like looking at the song, and, and maybe you weren't doing this, but the Lord spoke to me like, we should not be coming into the church with the, with the mode of evaluating what is going on. We should come into the church receiving and worshiping but not evaluating. We're not critics to come in saying, well, that's not good. I don't like that. That That is a consumer mindset. That's one of the da- most dangerous expectations that we can come in saying we're the judge coming in to make sure that things are what they should be. And so we're trying to unpack those expectations. To come in saying, God, we want to come in not with uh, what it should be, what we think it should be, what we've seen it, but God, what do you say the church is so we can live and experience what the church should be for us. And the foundation of this series is based uh, on this premise um, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, He says this about community, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that community. So powerful. Every single week I read it out loud, it just hopefully hits home to you even more that he's making the idea, the premise that if you love your ideal version of the church more than the church that's around you, the messy, imperfect, not your perfect style church, if you love the ideal more than the actual church, you're actually going to destroy the church you're a part of, the community. Not the organization, but the community. Because if we're holding on to our dream more than the people in front of us, we will miss the people and God's blessing in front of us. So the last couple weeks, we just compared and contrasted our unhealthy expectations versus God's expectations of the church. Here's a recap of the last few weeks. You can go to the church slash teachings. They're all on there. But week one, we talked about coming in and not coming in with the attitude of what needs to happen to, to bless me and, and what do I want to see, but coming in with the attitude of love and sacrifice like Jesus loved us. That we're not coming into the church saying, what can the church do for me first, but what can I do to love and sacrificially serve God. The church, that's the basis of Jesus' love for us, he says. Last uh, the second week, we talked about not coming in as consumers, but as contributors, that the pastors and the and the programs are not the only things responsible for your growth. In fact, you are responsible for one another's growth because the Bible says you are ministers just like I'm a minister. I'm just paid full time to do this, but my my charge is to help resource you to become ministers, not to come and watch ministers do the ministry. So we want every member to realize that they are ministers, that they have the Holy Spirit in them, that you have the Holy Spirit in you, and you can do exactly what I'm doing, what everyone else is doing in staff, you can share the word with people, you can serve them, you can take initiative, you can counsel them, you can guide them, you can rebuke them and correct them, you have that, in fact, you need to do that for this church to function and flourish. And last week, we talked about conflict. And how we love, we we would love for a church to not have conflict. We expect the church to not have problems and mess, but when we come in, we realize uh, we've brought the problem because the problem is oftentimes with us and with people because we're all broken. So instead of being shocked at the mess and the tension and people annoying us, we should come in and say, how can we bear with one another and how can we forgive one another? If you didn't watch the message, I encourage you because there are some helpful uh, uh, paradigms around the idea of things being preference that we don't like, things being things that annoy us, and then the things being sin that people sin against us. And the danger of community is sometimes you put things that are preferential and things that just get under our skin in the category of sin that aren't. So we need to reframe our paradigm of what people are different than you in this church. We have a diverse church. People are going to rub you the wrong way. The personalities are not going to line up. Styles are not going to be always met but we get to bear with one another like Christ has bear with us. And because He has forgiven us, we get to extend patience and forgiveness to one another. So that's where we have been, and we're landing this week on uh, something of a more macro level, uh, our view of the church. So let me just start out with the expectation, the, the thing that we are coming in that we want to check up against the Scriptures. Our expectation, our view of the church this week that I want to attack and to to analyze is this. We come into the church oftentimes thinking you might define the church as one of these things. Number one, maybe the church for you, if if someone asked you, what is the church? You would say, it's a group of like-minded people. That's all it is, yeah. I mean, people that believe what I believe and they agree with what I agree. So it's a group of like-minded people. Or you would say, it's a place I go to for community. I'm, I'm, I'm by myself. I need to have relationships. So that's where I go to find relationship. Or maybe you would say it's one of many different religious services. Maybe you see the church as like it's not really any different than the, the Muslims that are gathering in this place and the Catholics over here and the, and the Hindus over here. It's just another religious service. And we happen to be Christian, but other people doing their own thing. It's just the same. Maybe you see the church as something I will get to if I have the time for. Like one of these the underlying assumptions that our exceptions are not always things that we say out loud, but things that we live by underneath. I don't think a lot of people are going to say the church is something I will get to if I have time for, but we treat it like it's something that I get to and I will get to if I have the margin and the energy for. Maybe you would say the church is something I don't need. It's me and Jesus. In the last two years of COVID coming into this next this last year, specifically, uh, specifically this last year, I think we've seen the church change in the, in the world, but definitely America, where uh, most churches are, uh, the engagement level on a gathering is about 50 to 60% of what the church was in almost all churches. Some churches have shut down. A lot of churches have shut down. And if they haven't shut down, they're about 50 to 60%. That's just normal. Why? Did that mean that Christians just stopped being Christians? No. Maybe some people were coming that love Jesus that aren't coming anymore. But maybe people just realize it's me and Jesus. I can do it by myself. I don't need to. I can watch online when it's convenient and then kind of do the me and Jesus thing on my own. Is that what the church is? Is this what the church is? Let me ask you, church, is this how you see the church? If you had someone ask you, what is the church, what would you write down? Here's the problem with these things we're going to unpack. Our problem isn't one of exaggeration but of understating. We aren't in danger of thinking too much of the church but too little. And our small thoughts are betraying us. I do not think that the American Western Church, maybe other places they do, but the American Western Church is not in danger of thinking too grand and too much of the church. I think we're in problem and in danger of thinking too little. We don't have too lofty of thoughts. I think we have too small of thoughts. And this is why it matters. I realize it's my own life. You realize it in your life. How you see the church will shape how you treat the church. How you see the church. I'm not talking about what God says. Because what God says is not always what we see in belief. You might know something to be factual in the Bible. But might not actually absorb it and, and take it as your system of belief. Or your perspective. You might know over here the category of theology. Yeah, God says these things. But you see it differently. I want you to wrestle with how do you see the church, how do you define the church because how you see it will directly impact how you engage with it, interact with it and treat it. And my burden is that because of our small thoughts, we have a weak interaction. Because of our, um, our little perspective, our, our constricted perspective, we have a reduced experience. And of course that's not God's design for you and for us and so I want this next few moments my goal if I had to write it down would be to um shock you with amazement and wonder at what the church is I'm going to explain what the implications are and how to respond to it but just for the next few moments I'm just going to read some scripture I'm not going to to analyze it right now I'm not going to comment on it that'll be in, in a few moments I just want to read scripture over you and say exactly what God says about the church. So you would just receive it and let it shock you into awe. Let it stretch your perspective. And I'm gonna challenge you, before I do this, you probably know these verses and these phrases. One of the things I've learned as I follow Jesus, again, I might know what the pastor's gonna say, what that verse says, I've read it before, but come in with a clean slate, saying, "God, God, speak to me fresh as I hear these things. Don't, don't, don't come in with, I know this, I know where it's going, no, no, come in saying, I want to be refreshed with awe. I want to reset my expectation because these verses, these realities that we're going to read are beautiful, breathtaking, and if we really captured, I would say, 50% of what it even means, we would treat the church so much differently. You ready to hear what God says about the church? Okay. Okay. are we ready to hear what God says about the church? Say amen if you're ready. Okay, okay. I want you to be ready to hear what God says uh, because I, I want to I want to really see God's view so I can really treat it the way God wants me to treat the church. Here's the outline just so you know where we're going in the next few steps. We're going to look at what the scriptures say. We'll do some implications on what that all means for us. And then there's a necessary posture that we have. How do we live in light of these realities? So the vision, the implications in a necessary posture. Now, the vision of what God says, I'm just gonna preface it with this. Everything we're about to read right now applies to every believer in this church and every believer you know. You gotta realize that coming up front. Everything we're gonna read applies to every single person in this building and online that loves Jesus, has the Holy Spirit in them. It applies to them individually and us corporately. And I want you to know that because I want you to be able to, after these scriptures are read, look around at each other and see them with fresh eyes. So this is what God says about His church. You can take notes, take pictures, but I'll also put those slides up later on for Slack so people can download them. 2 Corinthians 6.16. This is what God says. This is how God sees the church. For we are the temple of the living God... As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. For we are the temple of the living God. Next scripture. Or do you not know, First Corinthians 6.19, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Do you not know Movement Church, Megan, Jesse, Thais, Joseph, do you not know that your body is where the Holy Spirit of God dwells? Next verse. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You, and I, us, the body of Jesus, and you're members individually of this body. You're the body of the living Lord himself, Jesus. Next passage. God has put all things under the authority of Christ, and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Catch this. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Again, Christ is head over us, and the church is his physical presence, his body on this earth. Ephesians 5. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul's talking about marriage, and look what he says next. This mystery of marriage is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You are the bride of Jesus. We together are the chosen bride of Jesus Christ. Look at what Revelation says about this. Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, come with me, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. wife of the lamb who sacrificed himself on the cross for every sinner in this universe you are we are his bride and lastly Ephesians so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners Gentiles being everyone that's outside of Israel You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. Catch this. You are members of God's family. You and I have been adopted by Jesus into God's family. We are brothers and sisters, members of God's family. How does God see the church? The church is the temple of the Spirit, the body of Jesus, the bride of Christ, and the family of God. I just, I'm aware at this moment, the temptation for you, maybe even I, is to be like, yeah, yeah, Chris, I've read this, heard this, I know this. And maybe you are the type of person that really does faithfully, consistently see the church this way. I'm not saying everyone doesn't, but I know the temptation because of our busyness, because of sin, and because of all the things going on in our life that's so hard and this world's broken, we are going to have a different perspective. We have to fight to see reality. Reality is not always a given. We have to fight to see the truth. So I want you to pause and reflect for a second. How does God's vision of the church line up with your vision? How does God's vision line up with your vision? The temple of the spirit, the body of Christ, the bride of Jesus, the family of God. How does God's vision line up with your vision? And do you believe this is true? Like when you look at the person in this church that has annoyed you and frustrated you, that you don't agree with, you don't vote like, you don't act like, you don't talk like, do you see them as the temple where God's Spirit is living, as the bride that Jesus has chosen, as the body that Jesus has hooked up with, as the family that God has adopted? Do you see one another like God sees His church? how God sees the church is staggering. Because if we were looking in the mirror, we'd be like, man, we're a bunch of misfits and ratchet folk who have a whole bunch of problems. There is no way that I would describe my identity first and foremost, or the church's identity as the temple and the bride and the body and the family. We're so messed up, the church has so many problems. Yes and yes and yes, and still that is the reality that is how God sees the church and because that's how God sees the church that's the most truest thing about the church whether you feel like it or not whether it's even us acting like it or not identity means it's true whether you act like it or not it's identity that's the foundation and God's saying this is who you are because this is who I made you to be He doesn't say act like the family first. He doesn't say live like the temple. He says, I've made you a temple. I've made you a family. I've chosen you as a bride. Adopted you into my household. This is what I've done for you through Jesus. And now because of that, there are some implications of how we live. There are some implications. The temple, the body, the bride, the family, so beautiful but then what does that mean like that's so up here what does that mean in my day-to-day life what does that mean when I interact with people in a small group or at a home or when we have annoyances or frustrations or disagreements or when I want to leave the church or when I don't come to church what does it mean when I interact with the church let's walk through this each section at a time just a frame I want to lay over this next section The church is always more than we are prone to think it is. It's more sacred, it's more significant, it's more unique, it's more necessary, and it is more glorious. Just assume that when you think of the church, the the church is always more glorious than you can think of it. It's more beautiful. Why? Because the spotless Lamb of Jesus chose to die for her. And if God has chosen to die for this, for us, then supreme value should be given to those people. Because God thought those people were worth dying for. You were worth saving and choosing and loving. And because of this, how we treat one another is elevated and unique. So let's get at it. Start with the temple of God. I want this to be drawn back to what you think the temple is when Jesus when God tells us what the church is he's giving us pictures of what he's already given in the Bible. I'm excited about this in 2 weeks we're going to start a new series working through exegetically the book of Exodus. Uh, we're going to go into the Old Testament and see how the gospel is shining in the book of Exodus, probably eight weeks in it, uh, chunk by chunk through that story. But what Exodus shows us, what these things, the temple and body and, and, and family, what they show us is that there have already been pictures of this in the Bible and God saying, you know what I said about the temple, well now I'm saying you are the new temple. You are the new people. You are the new Israel. And so I want us to think about what this means when God uses these analogies or metaphors, these pictures. The church is the temple. Then when we come in contact with one another, we are coming in contact with the living God. See, back in the day of Israel, before the Holy Spirit came, people would go to the temple. And why would they go to the temple? Someone shout it out. To meet with God. Sacrifices and to meet with God. And in Exodus we see in the tabernacle, not the temple, the tents, a beautiful tent. But the tent itself, Moses would go in to what? Meet with God face to face. And not everyone can go in. Only a few people later on, the priests and Levites could go in because it was so sacred, because God's presence was there. And so what that means for you and I, we might not, we might see each other's pimples and messed up makeup and hair and all the things. But what you need to see past that is that you are interacting with the living God as you interact with one another. Oh my gosh. See, I need to say this to myself because when I look at you, I'm just sorry. I'm not thinking I'm in the presence of God. But what I'm telling you and what I'm telling myself is that we need to treat it like I'm in the presence of God because I'm in the presence of his people. And this is the new temple. See, you wouldn't have walked in the temple carelessly back then. We don't walk into the church carelessly now. You don't treat the temple with off-regard and whatever, I'll get to it if I can, whatever. You treat the temple with respect and honor that goes above mere flattery or casual relation. People didn't relate to the temple with like, yeah, whatever, I'll get to it if I can. No, no, people said that is the place where God dwells. I'm kind of, there's a reverence and a fear around that place, but it's so amazing and holy and sacred. We have lost the sacredness of God's people. And I'm fine with dressing casually and and having fun and and all those things, but there needs to be a level of, of, of us looking at the church saying it's sacred because God's spirit dwells in us individually and corporately. When you have a conversation with someone in this church, you need to say, I am interacting with the presence of God, a place where he's chosen to dwell. It changes things. Second, the body temple the body. We are but one member or part of the body and we need to be around others to experience the fullness of Jesus. The Bible says that you are a member of individually you are the body of Christ Ephesians just said but you are individually just a member of it. Individually, just a member of it. You're walking around as a toe or a pinky or if you think you're, you're the stuff and maybe you're the hay or the head. You're not the head. Jesus is the head. Or maybe you're the bicep. Whatever. You're the thing. But still, you're just one thing. Okay? Whether you're a pinky toe or you're the bicep, you're one thing. Whether you are small or you think you're significant, you're just one part. And the need that Jesus says, the need that we need to have, the, the focus, the perspective, is that when we come in contact with one another, we need to be around one another because by ourselves, we're limited and limiting our experience of Jesus. Now, yes, you can in, interact with Jesus and praise Him and, and glorify Him and receive Him by yourself, but let me tell you, the Bible is very clear. You need to be around the people of God to experience the fullness of God. Does that make sense? The fullness of God is dwelt in his people, around corporately. This is a corporate identity. Individually, it doesn't make sense. Corporately, it does. And so when you're around people, you get to say, man, I actually get to experience more of Jesus, because that's another body part, another body part, and together we give a full picture of who Jesus is to the world for sure, but also first to one another. If you want to know Jesus or you're struggling to know Jesus, you can't just have your head in the Bible or your head on Zoom watching an online thing or a podcast. You need to be with the people of God. There's no substitute for that because God's presence dwells here and is fully experienced here. Secondly, when we serve one another, we are serving the Lord Jesus himself. Those who serve this morning, when you... In the kids' ministry right now, or if you're in the back A.V., shout out to A.V. and Sound, they're back there. When you're serving and welcoming someone, when you're serving coffee, when you're up here on worship, when you're doing things throughout the week, serving people, you're not just serving a random person in our church. You are literally serving Jesus himself. Because if, if the person next to you is a part of the body of Jesus, you are not just serving some random person. You are serving Jesus. Do you see that? as the privilege that it is that you and I get to serve Jesus by serving one another. That's amazing. Then being on teams isn't about being on teams. It's about structurally having a system where we can serve one another and then serving one another outside of that in all the myriad and countless ways that you are doing so right now. But we get to serve one another, and as we do, we serve Jesus himself. Next point. The bride, the temple of God where God's spirit dwells, the body where he is fully experienced and then the bride, as one of the implications I thought through is that we have to be careful of how we speak about one another. I've heard it in the church, I've heard it in every church, I've heard it outside the church, I've heard it on the news media, I watched a video last night, a little like uh, on Twitter, like a TikTok video of someone ranting and raving about hating Christians because of this last uh, few days and the Roe vs. Wade overturning. And, and she just said, I don't I care about Christians. She was this, this, this trashing the church. And so all this stuff. I hear so much negativity talked about the church, inside the church and outside of the church is this or that, so hypocritical, so whatever. And, and, and maybe you, you feel comfortable just being honest about your negative opinions and, and critiques of the church because you see it as just people and they're dysfunctional. But what if you saw the church as the bride of christ we end up showing little esteem for a groom when we insult his bride what i'm not saying is that we don't see each other with like rose-eyed you know glasses where everyone's perfect and we don't actually like say the, the things that are wrong that's not what we're saying it's It's actually being aware of the spirit and the heart of how we talk about the living church of Jesus because it is his bride. And you would never go up to your best friend's bride and talk crap about her in her face or behind her back, hopefully. But why would we, or maybe other people, maybe it's not us, other people would talk and gossip and trash the bride that Jesus has chosen. See, how we speak about the church matters if we are the bride of Christ. Am I saying how you speak, just not speaking? Your mind, where your mind goes about the church, you need to guard because it is the bride of Christ. He thinks she's beautiful and he's making her more beautiful. He thinks she's worthy of being chosen for the rest of eternity. So you better get on bus and say she's worthy and she's beautiful and she's a work in progress. Ephesians 5 says he is making her spotless so he can present her to himself as blameless and perfect. So it's a work in progress, y'all. You're not perfect. This church is not perfect. The global church is not perfect. The American church is not perfect. But because we are the bride of Christ, we speak uh, positivity. We speak beauty and honor. And yes, we're honest about our failures. But we're also honoring about who she is because she's first, not just your little group. She's the bride of Jesus. Second implication for us being the bride of Jesus. We don't give up on the church when it fails because Jesus will never leave or forsake her. It's so amazing. Oftentimes when churches don't work out or things don't happen or our best friends leave or the pastor leaves or the money's not there or the worship changes or the carpet changes or the name changes or whatever happens, relationships are fractured, we just bounce and we leave. And sometimes we leave because we go to other churches and that's okay if God calls us there. But sometimes people leave the church in general altogether. And they give up on the church. And what I want to say to you and those who are online, and you need to say this to everyone else as a Christian, we don't have the opportunity. We don't have the freedom. We shouldn't even think about it. Giving up on the church when she fails. Because that's not a thought that goes through Jesus' mind. Because Jesus signed a covenant with his blood for the church. He's not taking back that promise. And he's very aware of our spots and our wrinkles but he's patient he loves us anyways so we cannot give up on the capital c church when she ends up not living up to her standard you know why because jesus is very aware that she's not living up to her standard and he's working it out so if he's patient with her imperfections what do we need to be with her imperfections gentle and patient she's a bride being beautified by jesus So instead of working against him or talking bad about her because of how slow she's growing, let's work with him to be beautified by him and to beautify one another because we are the chosen bride of Christ. Lastly, the family of God. When God adopts us, Romans talks about God adopting us into his family. We're adopted as as sons and daughters into his family. He's our father. That means this, that our identities are no longer based on race or class, but on Christ. Does your race or class go away when you're in Christ? No. I was still poor when I became a Christian or later on. I didn't get rich because of it. We have Asians, and African-Americans, and we have Hispanic. We We have a lot of diversity in this church. Your race is still there, but that is not the most important thing that unites us anymore. Christ is what we're built on as our identity. Diverse but unified around Jesus. He is what we have most in common. He is what unifies us because we're a family. He's adopted us in a whole bunch of different people that stay unique because God's glory is seen in uniqueness, but brought together, unified around Jesus. And so when we think about us as a family, we think, man, that is my family. I'm different than them, and that's beautiful, but the difference makes the unity so much more beautiful when we come together. Because we think differently, we act different, we have different backgrounds and perspectives, but then we come and say, but the thing that makes us brothers and sisters is Jesus. Not how you vote. Not what you wear, not your background, not how much money you have, but Christ. And that makes the church more unique than any other organization or group in the world. Because everything else is built on class or race or this or preference or voting. This is saying bring that to the table and center around Jesus. That's indestructible. That's what it means to be a family. We see what brings us together. Secondly, we look at one another. Not as someone else's problem, but as our own responsibility. When you walk into the dinner table or in your family from when you're growing up, and your sister's wilding out, or your mom's wilding out, or your brothers going crazy, I, I, you your flesh wants to be like, "Y'all crazy? I'm out of here." But the obligation laid upon you as part of that family is that I'm going to be there to take care of them. And if we see that with our fleshly family, then how much? more. I'm not saying equal. I'm saying more. Do you see the more in this that because of Christ's blood unifies us as a family that when I see someone in pain or brokenness, I don't say, well, that's, that's, that's what else is family. It's whatever. Oh, Marcy's having a hard time. That's Wayne's only problem. Oh, Cass having a hard time, but her family can take care of her. No, I am their family. I don't say that they can deal with that later. I am their family. You are my sister. You are my brother. And so I take responsibility for that. You take responsibility for one another. And look, at that might be hard. Yeah, it's hard, but it's so beautiful. Because the church needs to be a place for people who don't have family to come and real, and, and receive family. People who are lonely to come and receive brothers and sisters. People who don't have fathers and mothers to come receive fathers and mothers. It needs to be a place for us to see each other as blood-bought sisters and brothers, not just people that are like-minded. That's beautiful. What an opportunity to say, you're coming with me. Oh, you're hurting? You need a bed to stay on? You need a shoulder to cry on? You need some money? I'm not waiting for someone else to help you. You're my family. Hopefully we would not do that with our own family. We should never do that with the family of God. We take care of both. But there is a priority around the family of God because He has bought us and brought us together. The temple, the bride, the body, the family. So, what's the posture that we need to have with all this? Then if that's just some of the implications based on the identity that God gives us as the church, then how do we how do we interact? How do we respond? Like, like what do we do next with that kind of vision? Do we just keep on doing what we're doing? I, I want to give you just a framework. It's not hope it's more steps, but it's just a perspective tweak. We've actually said this before last year in the sermon series, so hopefully we're just building on the things that we keep on uh, communicating as true. But here's the amazing reality. So Beautiful. You need to get your phone out, snap a picture, and and meditate on this. This is so powerful and if we receive this with truth and live by it, I promise you your experience in this church will change. When we interact with one another, we are interacting as the presence, body, bride, and family of Jesus, and with the presence, body, bride, and family of Jesus. Let me read that again. When you and I interact with one another, we are interacting, number one, as the presence, the body, the bride, and the family of Jesus. At one part, you are the family, you are the bride, you are the temple, the presence. At the same time, when you interact, you're interacting with the presence of God, with the body of Jesus, with the bride and the family. You are this, and you're interacting with this. And it comes down to something so simple. You have something that others need, and you need something that others have. That is the premise that is going to help this church flourish and help you flourish. That you come into gatherings and relationships and what, if you leave this church and when you do whatever, and you go to a different church, this is what every church, healthy church is built on. Because I'm a member and a temple and the bride, that I have something that others need. You have the Spirit of God in you and someone needs the Spirit of God to come through you to them. So some days you might come into a Sunday gathering or a home church or a prayer night or you open your home for hanging out and you're like, man, I'm going to be the bride of Christ and the body of Jesus to this hurting person. And some days and some seasons you come in and saying, I need someone to be the body to me. I need someone to be the temple where I can experience God's presence. I need someone to be the family for me. We come in saying that I have something that someone else needs and that I need something that someone else has. One is confidence, and one is humility. One is saying, I'm confident in my identity as the temple of God, and one is saying, I'm still needy as a human, and I need you to help me as the temple of God. You see, this is why solo Christianity is not even biblical. And I would go so far to say that we see in the Bible, watching Christianity or watching church and doing church online and never interacting with the people of God is not biblical either because there is a physical presence that needs to be experienced. So we see each other face to face, meet each other's needs, speak blessing and hear blessing. It needs to happen. You need to give something, you need to receive something. There might different seasons for that. There's no shame in either one, but this church will grow as we receive our identity and we see the commission on us as the people of God. Do you see one another as that? Man, I need to be around Marcy and Wayne because I need to be strengthened by them and I want to learn from them. Man, I need to bless Jesse because I see him need. Do you see that I need something from your neighbor? Or you just, I got this and I'm on my own. Because Jesus wants to bless you and I hear so much often from us. Man, I want to experience God more. I want to hear from God more. And I want to tell you as your pastor that one of the main ways that you're going to experience God and hear from him is through his people. If you want to experience God's love, you cannot hide in a cave. You have to be with God's people. If you want to experience the joy of Jesus, if you want to experience the forgiveness of Christ, you can experience it personally and that will drop on you, but you also have to experience it in real time being forgiven by someone who says, I'm forgiving you on behalf of Jesus. That's why the Bible says those, and we sang this song earlier, those who you forgive, I forgive. Those who listen to you, listen to me. Those who receive you, receive me. Why? Because you are an ambassador living on behalf of the living Christ. Take that seriously. You have such a value to you, an identity upon you that is way more than just a mere attender of a religious service. But you need to live in line with that identity and steward that well. What does this look like? You make a prioritized commitment to the body for the sake of your spiritual health and for the sake of others' health. You show up to care and to receive care, to serve and to be served, to encourage and to be encouraged. Prioritized commitments. It's not something like over here that's just when I get to it, it's a prioritized commitment. I want to ask you a question that I want you to think through. I want you to think through this throughout the week, not just in the next few moments. Does this describe your interactions with the church? Prioritized commitment, where I'm coming to receive and to give. I have something to offer and I have something that I need. Does this describe your interactions with the church? Are the people of God a priority to you or an afterthought to your busy schedule, worldly distractions, and countless engagements? we don't have any time to, like, beat around the block and the bush and be like, well, whatever, it's fine. No, 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 we're not generalizing any of this. We're being specific. You need to be honest with the Lord and with people right now. Is this really, people have got a priority? Because when we say about membership, we're redoing our membership, and we talked about this in our membership meeting, the covenants coming out in the week, and the, the heart of membership isn't you committing to programs, it's committing to people, and you show up to programs because the people are there. You commit to services and to teams because people are there. If you think about it just a commitment to a program or a service, you're not going to have the energy motivation to go. If you say the people of God are in the Sunday service, then I'm coming to Sunday service. If that's where the people of God are, if they are in their home, I'm going to their home. If they're at this prayer night, I'm going to the prayer night. If they need some help, I'm going to serve them with their need. It's the people of God because when you say I'm committing to Jesus and he's the head, you cannot sever the head and not commit to the body. We want the head, but not the commitment to the body, and that's not okay. Jesus does not allow that. He wants you to connect the two. So here are some practical. Let's get practical for a moment. Here's what this can going to look like. It's not exhaustive. It's not hyper-specific. But let me just give you a list of some um, just movements that you can make in your life, what this looks like as ways to respond to this reality that church is so sacred and beautiful and significant said it already, but you prioritize Sunday gathering. I know I say this often, Sunday isn't the most important thing, but it certainly is important, so please show up. Like, on time and show up. Show up because the people of God are here. Show up because you, get, you receive. Show up because you have conversations in between things that might change the trajectory of someone's week or life. Show up because for no other reason, God is worthy for you to sing among his people. Show up. Prioritize because God is worthy, not because people need your attendance. Well, look, okay, I don't, I, I need you, but I don't need you. Like, like, like we can do this without you, but we're not going to be as strong. We need you to be here. Your neighbor needs you to be here. And Sunday is just one of the things. Number two, that means you take initiative with relationships. Okay, so here's a practical tip. So often, and this is working for me as well, I can think about relationships and friendships and be like, well, they haven't reached out to me, so therefore, I'm, I'm distancing the friendship. They're not my friend anymore. And, and, and that, I get the hurt and the pain of people not reaching out to you, you feeling unloved. But let me just tell you a way to fight that and to counter that. You reach out to them. No, but Chris, you don't understand. Like, they, no, 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 I do understand. And it's not always fair and equal. It doesn't matter. You have the presence of Christ in you. You need to take initiative. And if after taking initiative, it's still not working, then let's talk. But let's take initiative and watch what happens when God unfolds growth and joy because we're reaching out to people. In ways we take initiative, two ways. One, you meet the needs you see and can meet. Okay, I'm I'm fair. I'm not saying meet every need. But when you see a need on on Slack or on a social group or in the church or talking to someone and someone prays something and you're caring for them, man, I see that you have a need, brother or sister, and you can meet it, meet it. That's how we act like the temple of God in the body of Jesus. We bless one another. We don't wait for people to serve us. We serve them because we have the spirit of God in us. And it's so beautiful. I told my wife this on the way here. It's so cool because one of the ways that you're going to be full is not by just receiving from people, but by giving to them. One of the ways God designed for you to be fully experiencing his presence and his glory and beauty is not that you just receive all this stuff, but that you start giving it away. Let me tell you, Jesus isn't lying when He says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Because when you give money and time and space and your schedule and you say no to things and say yes to the people of God, the mission of Jesus, you will not walk away losing, you'll walk away winning. But you got to believe that. Number four, you ask for help when you need it. You might not be able to meet a need. Maybe you're in a season where you need to ask for help. Ask for help. Remember, this is the body of Jesus. Our needs to be met here. Your needs are to be met. Here, Number five, you build your schedule around God's people. This is hard for people in the Bay Area. For some reason, we're just super busy. Some of it's good, some of it's not good. Some of it we're doing because we're chasing something we don't need to be chasing. Some of it we're in, involved trying to make our kids so happy or doing the thing we couldn't do or whatever. But let me just challenge everyone like I did a couple weeks ago. and I'm going like, to keep doing this and you can well, just please. Do what God is calling you to do with your time, not what you think you have to do with it. Like hear from God on how to manage your time. Oftentimes we think about stewardship in the sake of money. We make budgets for money. We need to make a budget for our time. How are you spending it? Because time, I would say, is even more important than money. And we are so tight on the heavy dollar we spend, but how are you doing with the time you have? Are you wasting it away? Are you using it maximizing it for the kingdom or for yourself and your pleasures? Because you have something that people need. And time is the way that that happens. Lastly, you show up when you don't feel like it. Let's read this together on a count of three. Ready? One, two, three. You show up when you don't feel like it. Okay, let's do this with the I pronoun, okay? We're going to do I do this. Okay, on three. One, two, three. I show up when I don't feel like it. Okay, that was recorded. Everyone just signed a verbal commitment and agreement and a covenant. Can I be honest? There's days where I don't want to show up. I'm not asking you to do something that I'm not trying to do. There's prayer nights I don't want to go to. There's sermons I don't want to preach because I'm tired or I've had a hard week. There's counseling sessions I don't want to have. There's meetings where I don't want to serve and be there. There's there's things and problems I don't want to deal with. I'm a human like you. I got my own stuff to deal with as well as you. But what I'm learning, and I'm not perfect in this, what I'm learning is that when I show up, God shows up. Because God's already there. It's not a matter of is he there. He's there. I need to show up. And I want to, because I want to experience, I need to experience more of God, and I want to also help other people experience more of God. That's what's at stake in the church. Not to even mention that we are the body of Jesus for the world to see. Next week, we're gonna talk about this, but groups and teams, those are so talked about in church. Sign up for a group, join a team. But hopefully your perspective has changed. We're not talking about a group service or signing up a team. We're talking about being with the crazy, sacred, messy, but beautiful people of God. And who wouldn't want to be around this ratchet but beautiful family? I'm here. I'm here. Can I tell you, I'm so blessed by you. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else with any other people. It's not because I'm paid to be the pastor. I felt this way when I was not making any money here, serving for free. Being paid just allowed me to be around the table more. I love you. I'm proud of you. It's a joy to be around you. And I know the challenges and the the corrections and rebukes can be hard to hear, but I'm not asking for more of you because I'm just demanding and want to make your life harder. I'm asking for more of you because I need you. The people next to you need you. The mission of Jesus needs you. The church has changed in the last year. Leadership has changed. People are switching out. New people are coming in. I get it. It's happening all over the place but I'm not committed to this church because it was a a thing. And then now that the thing has changed, no, 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 nothing has changed. Jesus is still the lead pastor of this church. The scriptures are still preached. The spirit of God are still in the people of God. And we still have a mission to do. And it's so amazing to do it with and alongside his people. So if this is your place, step in just one step further and see what God does. See how you experience more of the Lord Jesus. Would you stand with me? It's one of my favorite favorite verses. I want to bless you and lead you off with Colossians 127. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. want you to look around this room right now. Just take a look around the room. These people are special because of their bank account or their race or their background or their whatever. These people are special and sacred because the living Christ is in them. They are worthy of your honor and respect. They are worthy of your time. They are worthy of everything you got not because they're so good because christ thinks they're valuable and he has placed himself in them here's the sermon in a sentence to take away i want you to leave with this thought since christ is uniquely present in his church the church is therefore indispensable in regard to our joy in god and our formation into the image of christ indispensable can we commit today to see one another, to see the gatherings of God people, whether it's big or unplanned, as indispensable in our formation and our joy? Indispensable means we can't do without it. God has created you in a way where you cannot function and flourish without his people. And we want to respond rightly to how God sees the church because you matter and the person next to you Father, we we ask for that to be a reality in our life more and more, God. Simply that we would see one another, see ourselves as we look in the mirror, like you see us, the identity you've given us as the temple where your spirit dwells, as the bride that you have chosen to love, as the body you have chosen to nourish, as the family you have chosen to adopt. We want to see us and one another through that lens, God. Open our eyes, like we sang earlier, open our eyes and wonder. Would we look at one another with awe and joy and wonder that we get to be with one another because we get to be with you. Thank you, God, for your church. She's messy and a work in progress, but she is so beautiful, so worth it everything we have, because you are worth everything we have. You're our foundation, God. The gates of hell will not prevail against your church. Thank you, Lord, for these people. Help us to not just sign papers that say we're committed, but to make a commitment in our heart, because we love you to love one another. In Jesus' name, for your glory, amen. Let's worship church. He's so worthy of our praise. He thinks of you in beautiful ways. He's adopted you. He's worthy of our praise. We're going to sing, Come Thou Fountains. I love it because it's real. It says we're prone to wander, but he's still worthy. Above all else, he's still worthy. So let's, in light of what we talked about, let's give God our praise. Amen.